my friends were my brothers, man. I've seen my friend get killed. I've seen him get stabbed. I've seen him get shot. So my way of rebelling sometimes was through violence, was from doing a lot of things in the streets that I put myself in prison, chose to be in prison. For me, when I left the prison at a young age, just watching them and coming out of that environment and that system, and there's no better feeling getting chased by a cop. I believe everyone does have a story. And if you feel like your story is not interesting enough, believe me, there's a, there's a niche, there's a group of people out there who also relate to your story. It's a story, it's a journey. The brand, what it even stands for, where it comes from. So with regards to the mosque, last year, whilst I was going viral on TikTok, I sold a lot of mosques, it was just for me to show, and again, prove to people that you can literally make something out of nothing and sell it. Who's the man behind the mask? Hey, can you do me a quick favor? Could you just hit the subscribe, the follow, or the thumbs up button? It honestly helps more than you'd imagine. And we're going to bring in listeners each month to watch the online disruptor in person. Thank you. Yusuf, at the age of 15, you went to prison. I think my first question for you is, what went wrong in your childhood for that to happen? You know what? I wouldn't say anything really went wrong because I put myself in prison, chose to be in prison. Um, well, going back to my childhood, being a kid who grew up in a very rough council estate, getting himself involved in loads of crime and being in a position where I took self-accountability at this point and I thought to myself, my brother's struggling, he was in prison and I wanted to go in there to protect him and be there for him. So I wouldn't say where I was from and what I, what I was involved in brought me there because I actually got away with a lot of shit. But it was a decision or choice I made myself. Tough childhood. Tough childhood. To an extent, when you're there, you don't really realise it. Only you realize, only you start to realise it as you get older. But when you're there in the moment, that's all you know. So you live the moment. And for me, it was just a big game. I enjoyed every single part of it. I don't regret anything. What I do regret is the fact that if I knew what I knew now, I would be executing it back then. But I'm glad I went through that because that's my driving force to what I do now. What led you to go down the wrong path? Was there a, was there a def definitive moment in your life where you thought, I'm going to get into the wrong crowd, I'm going to follow this route? I'll be honest with you, there is no wrong path. It's the only path you know. When you're surrounding around crime or within an environment where all of this seems to be normal and the way your surroundings has a massive influence into what you do. You don't know any difference. So that for me was the only path. Do you wish you had a different path? Absolutely not. Really? For sure not. That was the best part of my life. Because now I believe everything you do, whether, whether it's good or bad, it takes a skill set, it takes a formula, it takes a mindset, it takes a well-being to be a certain person. But it's about channeling it into what you're doing. So a lot of people who go through things later down the age will have a bigger consequence or a bigger regret than when you're doing it from a young age. And if you didn't know any different, and that's all you were doing, to go through what I'm going now, 
and to see the other side, I appreciate and value it more. So for me, this means a lot more to me than when I was there. One one thing I, I've always believed is that you, you are sort of what your background is. You are who you hang out with. What sort of friends did you have? Did you have the right type of friends when you were growing up? My friends were my brothers, man. I've seen my friend get killed. I've seen him get stabbed. I've seen him get shot. I've seen him get locked up doing big sentences. So friends and their action, again, for sure your friends can have a big, big influence on you. But for example, my friends did drugs and alcohol. I never touched it. So it was all down to yourself and what you believe in and what you want to do. Whilst I was in the streets, I wanted to be there. I played a big part. I was a big leader. A lot of the things that I did were by choice. I felt this energy and this power. I was able to execute anything I wanted to do. And I was really good at it. So considering I come from a very strong leader background, my friends didn't really, really play a big part. If anything, I led them on. Were you misguided? Were you misled? Or were you in full self-control? Because one thing I was when I was young, I was fortunate enough never to go down this path. I, I could have been close. Is that the people I hung around with guided me. I was very naive. I was very misled. Were you or, or were you in full self-control? I was fortunate enough to have great parents, even though they were going through their own problems and stuff. My dad suffered a lot. My mum suffered a lot. Mum always taught me to never give up and to always fight. My dad always taught me to make money, to, you know, be faithful, be religious, be a good person, have good characters and stuff. I guess these are the things that I wanted to do at the time. For me, when you experience very tough childhood, a mixture of different, let's say, different experience, you kind of then rebel on it. So my way of rebelling sometimes was through violence, was from doing a lot of things in the streets that most people my age wouldn't even come close to. Does that make sense? So I would say... Um, that side of thing probably had an influence in a way because of the way I was programmed. You know, my dad used to beat me and used to told me not to cry. And if I didn't cry, he'll beat me harder and be like, why is it not hurt? So that kind of like taught me and kind of confused my mindset when I was a kid to not know where the limits were. Does that make sense? I just kept going. Did you get love as a kid from your parents? For sure. My mum was amazing. I've, I've got the best mum ever. She always, amongst all of us as siblings, she, she was a very strong tough mum who had a lot to offer, a lot to give. I would say she's a very traditional woman. You know, she was always a housewife. What about your dad? My dad, <clears throat> incredible guy, very smart, very street smart. Everything we learned from the streets, whether it's positive or negative, from making money, from defending ourselves, from the way we carry ourselves, he led by a big example. You know, he had a very hard, tough upbringing leaving this country at the age of 16, migrating to a European country, coming from Africa, no passport, dodging the cops, going to prison, meeting my mum, bringing her over to the UK, living together as a couple at a young age, having kids at a very young age. And they each got between me and my older brother was like nine months, two weeks, not having papers to work, working illegally. Like all this stuff, he, he really learned and, and, and had such a, tough upbringing and such a tough journey that 
we as a young kid, we used to hear his stories and hear his journey and it used to really give us hope and motivation and made us very grateful for what we have, even though looking back on it, we still had it hard. You brought your brother along with you today, Idris. Idris. Idris, sorry. <laughs> um, would you match that or do you have a different version of events? I match it. He said it perfectly well. Everything he said was perfect. I think one question you asked him, I feel, was was you in control of those moments or times? And I think that's something I was also really good at myself. So in those times where things may have been a bit difficult, I feel like I was very much in control of myself from a very young age. I had very good self-control and self-discipline. So when I saw my older brothers, because there's two of them that went down that path and they were very much together all the time in what they did, I looked at it and I just knew that it wasn't for me. I had to control myself. I had to stay in the right path. And my right path was going to school, playing sports, being good at academically, also with sports, I was really good at it. So my thing was, I'm going to stay away from it, even though it's very easy to go down that path because that was the example that I had. But one thing that I knew these lots had, they were always protective of me. They were very, very protective of me. Anywhere I went, I was confident. I never had to worry about trouble or anything because I knew that I had two older brothers that they would do absolutely anything for me. So that was, you know, the journey that I had to go down. But again, witnessing what they had to go through had an effect on me long term. But I only realised later on as I grew up. Are you the youngest? I'm the so, youngest, yeah. yeah. So you could witness everything going ahead? I witnessed it all. In fact, sometimes I was even helping them with certain things that they needed help with. I'd get random phone calls <laughs> literally telling me, yo, bro, go up, say, get this new pair, get this get this tracksuit, get this jumper, get this everything, put in a bag and give it to this person right now because I need to change clothes. And I knew what happened. I knew what there was going on. Or like something would happen in the area. I would see a lot of police. I'd be coming back home from the park and there'll be a lot of police in the area. And immediately my instinct's like, yeah, I know what's happened. There's something to do with these. What's they've done? They've done a madness. Yeah. <laughs> what's the worst thing you've seen? I've seen a lot. I can't even really <laughs> mention it. Can't I can't mention it because there's a lot of things that you can't even say. Can't even say but you know what? I'll be honest with you. I think he would agree with me. A lot of that journey was very much fun. It's a very wow. fun time. It, it, although you might see it from the perspective of that's crazy what was going on and it was fun and, but and also it, very selfish like very bad for our parents to be put in that position yeah. does that make sense but like he explained we were very overprotective I had a very strong father figure sort of character. personality character in me from a young age whether it's to make money be overprotective just from the things that I knew and the things that we've had to experience. I don't think you necessarily had to stress about me though, innit? which yeah, is never. something that these lot always knew that in the back of their mind, they knew that although I could have easily went down that path, I was always very much solid. And that's what kind of gave him the ease and the freedom to be able to be like, cool, we're going to do our thing. We know he's doing his thing, right? Like when they were in prison and we had to go visit them. So me and my mum and my little sister at the time, we had to go visit them every weekend. And to think about it, normally people go visit one prisoner, but we had to go visit two because it was both of them at the same time. And we'd go there, we'd sit down on one table, there'll be two of them, or sometimes even separate tables. Mm -hmm. And we just had to like, kind of look at each other and just, they just knew that I was you good. The yeah, they knew it like, they gave me that nod almost to say like, keep doing your thing, you know. We're, we're in a bad place right now, but we trust you. We know that you're at home, you're doing your thing, you're going to school and stuff, but 
just don't worry, you got this kind of thing. And that, that played a big part in me. When I left the prison at a young age, just watching them and coming out of that environment and that system, I'd come out, I'd make the journey back home and it would be a silent journey where I would be reflecting and thinking to myself like, that's not where I want to end up. That's not me. How did your parents react when you had your brothers obviously in prison and you were at home as sort of a role kid, so to speak? So it's a good question, very good question because... I think that part of life was the one that kind of had a big effect on me later on in life because obviously at the time my parents had to focus very much on my on my brothers. They had no choice but to really focus on them. So me being the kid that's always okay, good in school, you know, everything's solid, I kind of felt very much neglected. So everything I was doing, it was just lonesome, always alone. Had to always just be alone all the time. Um, but I don't blame my parents because again, they had no choice but to focus on what really mattered. But now, looking back at it, it kind of meant that I lost very much that attention that I needed, that connection from my parents, that um, reassurance. You know, that, like, these lots had that reassurance and that reassurance builds that self-confidence and doesn't, you know, but me, I kind of lack that self-confidence, but I'm building on it now. It gives, it's giving me more of a drive to keep working on myself. And that's where the gym comes into play. That's where faith comes into play because faith is what kept me solid. And even him. Have you both always had faith or have you found it? So I guess we've always had it from a young age. It was planted into us from our dad, very, very young age. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened because that seed that he planted, you, you, with faith, I feel like you have to plant that seed and slowly, slowly in your own time, water it and give it the right, you know, right nutrients with time. But my journey in my faith, I had to water it very much younger, whereas them and my other brothers, they had a different timing to when they watered it. So he would tell you that his his journey with faith came in his lowest points where he was in prison and he had no choice but to find that faith and that seed grew slowly, slowly. But again, now we are at a stage where both our plants are the same level and we're together. And if my one goes down, he brings it up. And if his one goes down, I bring it up. So that's that's where we're at with our faith. Important. Is this the best you two have had at a relationship of brothers now or has it always been like this like that. but we've yes. had our moments as well one yeah. thing about Idris is that his early age of discipline and the way early age of proving himself to be someone who can learn from other people's mistake but also be the person he is and always stay true to himself allowed me to really trust him and we built such a strong bond and that's where ProBT was developed and exceed and became as big as became that's where your tour of london is right now you know there's no one out there that i could trust or work or be with right now and i'm very 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 grateful you know you see the tate brothers right now talking about it and i'm thinking way before the tate brothers went about it i really lived and experienced that relationship with my younger with my younger brother and we live like it you know everything we do is solid yeah, we we send each other these brotherhood videos, you know those kind of brotherhood <laughs> yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I feel like at some point we're gonna have our own brotherhood videos. Because, you should. Yeah, yeah, you because should. It, it's not very common you find a lot of people that are brothers that are in business that are, have a good relationship. A great example is um the Heaton brothers, the people behind represent the brand. I watched them and I studied them and to to look at what they've been been able to build with the represent brand. You know the way they speak, the way they both understand each other is it's the same way we both understand each other. We have our strengths, we have our, we have our weaknesses, but we, we complement each other. We create that yin and yang, that balance between each other. So that's kind of why we've been able to excel in relationship, in business, and everything we've done. Well, one thing I just wanted to touch on, what you both said, look, 
I don't know what it's like to go to prison. Fortunately, I've I've never been. There was there was a moment I was sort of, I think I was sixteen. I was heading down the wrong path. I was getting arrested quite a lot. I went back into a care home in in Mossside in in Manchester, and when I tell people this story, I always say this was the best moment of my life. I had the best fun. I, like it was the most fulfilling moment in my life. I don't know why. I can't explain it. You mentioned prison, and and that was one of the best moments of your life. Why why do you, why do you think that is? <clears throat> the first aspect was that see me I like to really punish myself on many things when it comes to my training I don't train like a normal person I really like to put myself through it the feeling uncomfortable where uncomfortable no longer feels uncomfortable and always preparing yourself to be uncomfortable even when life becomes comfortable so when life becomes uncomfortable you don't feel uncomfortable that was me as a person from a young age. The physical aspect, going to prison, business, taking risk, relationships, everything about me is about living on the edge and having that adrenaline. And there's no better feeling getting chased by a cop and getting away with it. Or there's no better feeling about being in the prison where anything you may do in here stays in there. So whether you go crazy and literally bang out because you like to fight, but it's that element of like, you got to do it so quick and it's just about proving yourself that you can survive in any environment and adapting really quickly and getting that feel. But then channeling that mindset into that, once you've got that high and that feeling, that adrenaline in you, can you convert into do something positive or are you going to go back down the route? I was fortunate enough to not do a very long time, but I'm around people who are doing life sentences and they probably had the same feeling as me but they weren't able to control it. And sadly, some people are innocent in prison. You know what I mean? And they have a different experience. I don't think everyone else has this sort of experience. But for me, being in that cell and being under so much pressure and, you know, being at the age of 15, experiencing what I experience, like, a lot of people fold. I never folded. At 15, you obviously, you were sent to jail. You were stood in, I presume, the dock in court. Yeah. What, what was that like when the judge sent you down? What went through your mind? I've got a crazy story. When I was in the dock, so basically, I told the judge I wanted to go to prison. Um, and he said to me, I was very confused. Because before that, I was given bail. And he said, yeah, I just want to go to prison. I said, Yo, like the case was getting longed out. Every time we'll go back to the court, we'll be arrested for something else. And the cases start kept building up. Starting off from one thing, from going to the magistrate court, the Crown Court, now to the Old Bailey, the cases started growing. More and more evidence was coming forward. And the co-defendants that I was with are looking at severe time. So my solicitors like to me, yeah, there's no way you're going to win this one. Like, the evidence is very, very, very high. <laughs> and the story behind the Bally is that many things that saved me in the past was I always wore a Bally. And that's, that's a dead honest truth. Um, on the ID prey, they identified him as a different person. Not going to get into too many details. And that was one of the big reasons why certain things were navigated the way they were navigated. So when I went to the court, I said to him, look, I, I, I want to serve remand time because I'm doing home arrest at this point. I'm on tag, strict hours, doing mad shit, like just wasting my time whilst my brother and all my friends are in jail. So I thought, let me go to jail. And I was, as I was in the dock, as I went downstairs, because I was 15, they was trying to send me to a secure unit. 
And then I remember speaking to my brother and I saw my name be put up on this on the board of where each prisoner is going to go, regardless to what circle van's coming to pick them up. My whole point of going to prison was to be with my brother. So I said to my brother, look, distract this lady. I saw where they put the paperwork. I said to my brother, distract this lady when I go to the toilet. As I went to the toilet, all of us were in the same holding cell. There was nine of us in the same holding cell. And I went on the whiteboard and I removed my name that was going to the secure unit and I put my name quickly under Felton Prison. And this is an honest truth story. And then they put me back in my cell. <clears throat> when the circle van came to pick me up, the paperwork, he took it with him to go to Felton. He just powered it together. And I went into the same circle van that was going towards Felton. And everyone else was going towards, like my, the, my older Cody's were going to Penneville, some were going to Brixton. And, my other Cody was going to a secure unit. When I got to when I got to Felton, it was really late because on the way to Felton, we were on a big bus, so we went to other courts to pick up other prisoners. So we must have got back to Felton around 7 p.m. When I got there, my my folder and my name wasn't for Felton. But they couldn't send me to the other prison because it's late. And they couldn't send me back to the court to see what went wrong. So they kept me in Felton. And then the next morning I thought I was gonna get shipped out to the secure unit. But what happened is they kept me there and they got the paperwork from the court to say that I was staying Felton. But originally I was going to be sent to a different prison. So if it wasn't my street awareness and the way I see things, the way I, I analyse everything, and the fact that I didn't put that thing in place, I would have wasted my time at this point because I actually wanted to be in prison with my brother. And even when I was in prison with my brother, it wasn't like they're going to lock us up together. I had to do so much to try and end up with my brother and it involved a lot of violence. Were you at court when he got sent down? Uh, yeah, yeah. Wait. What, what was your your thought, yeah. your reckoning? I think I was so young and like just innocent to the whole thing that I guess me and my mum, we were the kind of the outliers in the courtrooms because other family members that were there, you know, they've probably already been through that whole experience many times. But me being with my mum, you know, and we were just sat in the court, it was kind of like, they don't really understand what was going on. This is why when they tell me these stories now, there's times where I still ask them questions about those moments of time, like I was never there, but I was there. And it's like, in those times, it's just, didn't understand it. Honestly, but I, I really didn't understand what was going on. You know, I just remember mom, my mom telling me, yeah, we have to go to the court. And when we go there, it's just a long waiting game. So that's what I remember. It's just how long it was about waiting and waiting and waiting. And then it would kind of be a thing where when we finish the day, I would just ask my mom, are they coming out? And everyone would be like, oh, no, no, they're not. Or like, it would be like, oh, so what's the update? And then it's like, oh, no, but we have to wait for next time. So I never actually truly understood what was going on. Did this affect you, not having your brother around? Yeah, 100%. Um, How? Like I said, for me, being alone, it just made me tap into a different side of my mind. And it, it really tapped into a spiritual side of me that I'm so grateful for having now because I think it's my biggest strength now. You know, as Muslims, we are, you know, we believe in the fact that Allah is always with you. So at the time where I was very young and I didn't have many people around me, I had Allah, I had God. And that's where I found my prayers. That's where I found being able to have a conversation with God always. You know, as Muslims as well, when we pray, we bow down to the floor. And that's the moment where you're closest to like your, 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 like your humbleness. You know, so being in that position there at a young age of just being able to speak to God, ask for guidance, ask for just to feel something, that's when I really found that. And it gave me that connection that till now I have every single day with my prayers, 
with my religion, my faith, with everything. And that's the discipline that I learned in life as well, for, for everything. Why were you sent to jail? These are things I don't really disclose, but it was a lot of gang stuff. Was it a build-up or was it one thing? No, it wasn't one thing. No, many things. There was nine co-defenders. My co-defenders are doing life sentences for it. I was arrested for multiple charges. Some of them were dropped before I went to court. Some of them were proven not guilty until trial. But yeah, let's just, say, let's just say, yeah, I'm in a good place, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. One thing I, I wanted to finally ask you, the final, final question of this sort of chapter is... I was reading about this story about that guy, Daniel, who broke out of da um, Wandsworth, Wandsworth Prison. How do you think he broke out? Is it possible? Everything is possible, 100%. Inside help? Inside help, external, internal, money, everything, everything is possible. But when you're in prison, you can see everything. I've literally just finished filming a Channel 4 documentary where they locked us up in prison with other ex-offenders and other celebrities. And we had to basically showcase to the world exactly what we do and how we survive in prison, whether it's smuggling phones in, making phone calls, making shit out of nothing, using drones to you know, bring in packs, whatever it was, it's possible, 100%. And how governors and, you know, people in-house, how they can work with prisons, especially if it's internal relationship, external relationship, anything can be possible, yeah. You never tried to break out? Breaking out didn't really make sense to me. I wanted to be there. <laughs> so I didn't even you, you, think you, about it. You never thought first... about doing a prison break with your brother? You like the what? original on, prison on, break? On, on the Channel 4 documentary, I actually broke out. Really? So you, you guys will be able to see that when it comes out in November. This um, guy was crazy in there. Yeah. <laughs> I got some mad stuff. Even, even when you got in with your brother, you didn't want to get out with him. You wanted to stay there? Nah. For me, it was like all my mates were there and I felt safer in a way. Not safer, but I had a lot of you can imagine there was a lot of charges, so I had a lot of people out there who were ready to. Do you know what I mean? There was problems even in the jail, I guess, bro. Yeah, it was absolutely. everywhere. The problems follow you, even if you're in there. So as much as you were safe, like there were still things that were going on in the there. The best bit about it is I prayed. Yeah. I think I, I started praying, and that's what kept me good. And I you knew lose I was good. as well. Exactly, I was <laughs> very fat and obese. That's where my personal training journey started. We'll talk about that in a sec. What was Joe Kushti? Was it nice? Well, nah, not, not at all, <laughs> no. so you, you spoke about your upbringing yeah, was, in the it was, streets. It was a married <laughs> hotel, five-star living. <laughs> you hear stories. You hear stories. You don't pay bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, like, no rent. Designer outfits. Oh, I tell him about the Gucci sliders. Yeah, bro. Gucci's. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. You get not Gucci, Gucci, you get Gucci shoes. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, when you go to court, you wear these leather shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Are they the ones they give you like when you're in a They're police like cell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. But honestly, it's amazing. So humbling, bro. You meet the best of best people. I meet the best men in prison, bro. Even now that we go back and we do a lot of mentoring, we help ex-offenders. We've done a lot of projects inside prison, bro. Yeah. Every time I go there, I just want to be there. I, I, I don't want to leave. If, I if I could live in prison, but do what I'm doing, and have the understanding that I'm free just to be around these men. You know what I mean? They're real men in there, bro. None of this shit that goes on out here. The brotherhood in there, the discipline, the structure, the training is different. But when you go to the gym and drill, like, you, you don't get so many men who are just working out. When you go to the gym, you see a bunch of idiots, bro. Like, 
you get two, three men who are serious. The rest of them are, are just there to flex. When you're in prison, bro, they, they make every single rep count. Every single minute in that gym spent is counted and they're so appreciative. And you can just see how 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 it has an effect on the energy. Does that make sense? Like you can be such a bad man, you go to the gym and it completely changes your day. Where now out here, you can go to the gym, you can have all the food in the world, you can get a massage, you can be you can have a hot chip next to you, but you're still depressed. Where in prison, bro, like you can go 23 hours banged up and have that hour to the gym and it just changes. It has such strong core value into how you're gonna feel. You know, I guess with all that time, then you started focusing on on fitness, on training. I, was was it prison that really let you focus on that, or was it something else? So my street name was Chubbs. I was a very fat kid, someone who got bullied about it quite a lot. Even amongst my own siblings, they used to take the mick out of me. You know, but I was always that still that confident person that can embrace that fat person character. But I just knew at one point it had a big toll on me, like it affected my joints, the way I felt, my confidence, the way I wore clothes, you know, so going into prison, I just created that discipline that, first of all, I really disliked the food there. Another thing that I just started feeling this, like, I can really embrace physical pain by exercising and just do loads, loads, loads of reps, even though I was a fat person, I can, like, really put myself through a lot of physical suffering and physical pain that I was then able to channel when I came out to prison to achieving such a great physique at a young age. So, so one thing you're most famous for is your business, ProPT. What, what led that to come about? So ProPT was something that the judge made me, there was an obligation that I had to get into education. Considering I had no GCSEs and went to prison at 15, I didn't really finish school or anything. So one of the conditions that when I was left free and put on home arrest is that I had to basically do some sort of education and my probation officers at the time and my um, social workers basically said to me oh look you've done such a good journey in prison we can get you a gym membership and like why don't you just go to the gym and do a PT course and I had I'd start no interest but then I always say the story I had a big following on Blackberry Messenger. I put a before and after picture and a lot of people were reaching out to me and generally I was reaching back to people, giving them free tips and advice. And I had this like joy and fulfillment of helping people. So cut the story short, became a person trained and then because of everything I went through and everything I was going through and the fact that a big part of it was I generally enjoyed helping people and giving back. For me, it wasn't a job. It wasn't like, I didn't feel like I was working. I was passionate about it, I was hungry, and I knew I had to make a lot of money out of it. So then once money was made, I was able to elevate it, bring my brother on board, and we took it to the level where it became so big. And it wasn't until lockdown where, due to the COVID situation, a lot of things were affected. And then that's where now we are at, where we've got such a such a strong experience between me and my brother, how we built ProVT, that now we've created this brand new tour of London which is our fragrance brand. Um, something that I think you should talk about as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I think he 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 missed a part in the in the in the Pro PT journey where obviously he was building it by himself for two to three years on his own. Um what what year were you building this? Started at eight eighteen <clears throat> basically I had my first legitimate job in the gym which was a cleaner. And it was he was literally just PTing, you just gave it a name. 
or was it? Yeah, no, it was just a name that I had for myself. I remember at the time I started Instagram. But when I used to take pictures on Instagram, it was me and my boys. So I remember when I was studying to become a PT, I just was looking for names like to call myself. And property, no one had used it at the time. I just took that name. But then I built a brand rather than a personal brand because I never showed my face. Never, sh- I, like even up until when property became huge and we had 20, 30,000 followers, no one knew what I looked like. You know? So it was just like how we created a brand and a movement working with other people to create the brand it grew massively it wasn't only till lockdown where it became a personal brand and then now I utilize it to my own advantage and leverage of it you, you mentioned he missed out a important part yeah, what was that the important part is like i said he was doing it on his own but i guess the things that he he did different to a lot of other people was that he was creating a movement and he was creating a culture and it's almost uh I don't want to say a cult, but it was just a following of people that believed in this vision of bettering themselves, but in a style that no one else could replicate. So in any environment he went in, for example, in the gyms that he was previously working at, every other personal trainer was looking at him and saying, this kid's different. And they were hating on him. They were jealous. They just disliked the fact that he was doing things a lot different. And the reason why he was different, one being that he'd done a lot of things for, for free, giving back. And from from an element of a strategic point of view, but also an element that came from his heart because of where we come from and the background that we have of believing in charity a lot and believing in giving back. So a lot of the personal trainers that were in the gym, they disliked it because he was getting all the attention, all the clients and stuff, which he managed to strategically convert into clients later on down the line. But the movement that he created, right, and what I was witnessing from outside, because at the time he was doing this, I was still in school. It was in sixth form at the time. I was heavily involved in gym. I was heavily involved in my training. I was also involved with his stuff whenever I could, because obviously being in school full time, I would go on the weekends to some of the classes that he was doing and stuff. But I would see this momentum that he was building. And I was like, I, I want to be involved. I want to be involved as much as I could. But I was tied back with the whole school, having to go to uni and, you know, the traditional route, which everyone else had to go down. But he was selling me this vision, which he was really good at selling because he's a great person at selling and manipulating and making it a, a positive manipulation because he was making me manip- manipulate me in a good way. And he made me believe that, you know what, drop out of school. You don't need that. Just let go of it. Come on board with me. I got you, is what he said to me. He said, I got you. I'll look after you, right? I know me and you together with what I'm creating, this movement, bear in mind, he's got a great following of people, not just on social media following, the real following, real life, being able to get people to turn up to a class and just put a class on for 200 plus people in a community where many people wouldn't do those things, wouldn't turn up, right? But he did that. I saw it. So I left everything behind. You dropped out? I dropped out of school. And I was a high achieving student. My GCSEs, I got seven A stars, six A's. My A-levels are studying mass physics and economics. Did my first year, got A's on all of them. So obviously I had that route sorted out for me where it's like, oh, you're going to go down uni, do all that stuff. But it was never me. I, we never, in, in our family, we never even had an example of someone who even did well in school. How did your parents react to their 
They didn't care. Yeah, fact, I'm so not. thankful that my family, my mum... My dad's a hustler. My yeah, mum's like, like, my mom's a traditional woman. She's a woman. She like, just she believes in real, being a yeah. good person. If you're a good person, you, you will do well Whatever in makes life. you happy as well. Exactly. Because I, I speak to like loads of young kids who, who want to drop out of college, want to drop out of school, but they're scared of what their parents think. So you, we've you, never had that. Were you scared or you didn't? No. Oh, I guess the only thing that I was scared about was just... I wouldn't necessarily say scared. It's just obviously when you're stuck in that system of school... They make you believe that there's no way out apart from going down that route. Oh, you can't get out. Yeah. You're not like, allowed out. <laughs> I, I went from being the most intelligent person in that school to turning out to be the biggest villain where the teachers who believed in me and everything, the moment I dropped out of school, I had people sending me messages being like, oh, bro, you're a laughing stock right now in school. They're all making a joke of you, how you dropped out of school to go do this fitness thing. I remember my, the guy literally said, he caught he's like, oh, fitness thing. And I was like, these just don't understand that it's not a fitness thing that I'm doing. We are actually building a business and a movement. And uh, bro, what we managed to do is like in a year's time from there, we were living in a mansion with over nine, be nine bedroom house, swimming pool in the back garden, hot tub, jacuzzi, cinema. We had a gym in our house, but I was just that kid that dropped out for the fitness thing. And he was just that ex-prisoner who, that these titles that they gave us didn't correlate with what we were achieving because after that we was on the BBC radio after that we was doing collaboration with Selfridges we were touring the country with every university doing free hit, fit, hit classes for these universities and we stuff we went to primary schools we went to abroad we went to prisons we did all these achievements that it was just a fitness thing though one thing I've noticed is there's a sort of a shift in people behavior in what they engage with online before it was you could just post something that looked good and people would like it now i've noticed people care more about the story if you have a compelling interesting story where you talk about your struggles you talk about the shit you've been through in your childhood people are more likely to buy into you how important was that to your success that's the first thing we ever did that's all we ever did we, we sold a story and a journey and we were, but also there's talking about your problems from a negative perspective and dwelling and f trying to get people victimizer. to feel sorry for you, victimize But then for us, it was like, that was the problem, but this is why we achieved this because that problem gave me the energy. It's about how we channeled our mindset and channeled something so negative to something positive. And bro, we just didn't give a fuck. We went against so much odds. Even like from us getting that mansion to rent, it was basically impossible. What landlord will give you a mansion where two young brothers who pretty much weren't footballers or didn't come from a very wealthy financial background they were questioning where and how did we get the money and this was purely without any investors Never. any supporters any mentors it was literally off the back of the hard work we put in and how we went from Bro. training people for free to like partly almost owning a business a gym where they robbed us for like quarter million pound to now being training clients in the streets again, but having that following that journey to two months later, we're able to negotiate a great deal and live in a in 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 in, in a fuck off mansion where people were mind blown. Our neighbors are like, who are these young kids here? And from that was like, cool, now we've developed this movement, we've got this house, we can train our clients here, we've got the best clients charging premium rates. But then we're hearing social media it's getting bigger, invest in social media. It's like how do we now put ourselves out to the public? Great, let's start pitching to influencers. Let's start working with celebrities. Let's give them our services for free. Let's carry on that same blueprint. And in return, we'll give them content. We'll work with them, get them great results. The referral screen starts to grow there. 
And then eventually, where people, celebrities started paying us to train them. We were known as the number one trainers in the UK. BBC wanted to interview us multiple times. We had loads of newspaper articles about us making so much noise. And then getting to a place where we became so successful so quick, kind of lost that fire in me. Everything became too easy. And it just got repetitive. We'll talk about that fast growth in a sec. One thing I want to ask you both, so maybe you go first, you go second, is you've got a very cool story, very interesting story, very sellable. What advice would you give to someone, say you're an 18-year-old kid, you finished uni, you finished, or not uni, but college, all everything you need to do, who hasn't got a story? They grew up, family gave them everything sort of thing. They haven't got a story which they can... That's the biggest story. The fact that your family gave you everything. Is that compelling though? Absolutely, bro. That is harder than what I went through. I had no choice. And I know what it felt like to lose. And I felt I know what it felt like to not disappoint anyone because I never had anyone to disappoint. When you're being given so much support and people are trying to push you through one narrative, but you're going to the complete opposite, that's a lot harder. That in itself is a story. That's a very common story. That's a very relatable story. My story is very interesting, but it's not that relatable. It's only relatable to people who come from my background, which majority of kids are now going through it because the way the world is evolving right now, you can go to prison for anything, like crime, and you know, there's a lot more people struggling, a lot more cancer, a lot more single mums and stuff. But that story in itself is very hard to overcome. And partly it is went through that journey, but his story and his journey is as inspiring, as close as it is to me. I think the biggest thing is that just honestly, just stay uncomfortable, man. That's and stay out of your comfort zone. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I was going to say, so I think it's going to sound cliche, but I believe everyone does have a story. And if you feel like your story is not interesting enough, believe me, there's a, there's a niche, there's a group of people out there who also relate to your story. Absolutely. And that's the people that you would be able to inspire. So it might not inspire the mass or it might not be as interesting to the rest of the people, to the, you know, to everyone. But there is a small group of people that you'll be able to tap into and that's who you'll be able to inspire. So whether you've come from a great background, you know, you've been spoon-fed your whole life, make yourself uncomfortable because it doesn't take much to make yourself uncomfortable. Yes, you might be having... Yeah, you might have everything been done for you. You might have everything paid for you. How about you go... The opposite. How about you don't get everything paid for you? How about, how about you make that own decision to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation where that's where you really find yourself? Fitness is a great one as well. You don't have to be rich or poor to be able to train. Running the marathon, running the ultra marathon, which we both did. It didn't cost us anything, but we, we both did it because we wanted to get uncomfortable. I don't care where you're from. You can run that ultra marathon tomorrow if you wanted to. You just put your mind to it. But it's always about having that chemical, that natural chemical release in your body, bro. And stay away from any substance, anything yeah. that literally toxicates you in any form of way, any bad addiction, whether you're overeating, whether you, you've got a drug, alcohol, whatever, any addiction, cut that shit out completely. I think fitness is the one thing that people take for granted the most, right? It's the best selfish act you can do. It's the only selfish act you need to do. You could wake up in the morning and go for an hour walk and that, there's a adrenaline rush right there. We've, most people have four legs, four arms and they can train. And... and you should be able to be grateful for training. I was speaking to someone who was in a wheelchair and she wishes that she could run again. She she was praying that she could just run again because she used to run. And people just take it for granted. 
But you see these videos of people who are also maybe in a different situation where they don't have two arms and two legs, but they're still able to make things happen. Exactly. There's no excuses. They show it to us that even us that we do have two arms and two legs. We have no excuses to be sat down on our asses, being lazy, over consuming. You know, you have to have that self-discipline. That's the most important thing, self-discipline and self-control. In a world where literally everything's about consumption, consuming, consuming, consuming. It's about controlling yourself, taking yourself away from those short-term pleasures and stuff and giving yourself um that just that block where okay i might not i might you know i might suffer for a little bit but in the long run i'm gonna win so go through that pain go through that struggle and you win in the long run you talk about drugs i think the biggest drug i've ever seen is sugar i genuinely believe that and i've been guilty of this over the last few months i've, I've got addicted but i think it's the most addictive drug would you agree with that as a as fitness uh, I don't know. I think we're like, bro, the biggest, the biggest drug is laziness, bro. For me, would you agree? I agree with that, and I also agree with what you're saying about the whole sugar thing as well. Because let's be honest, that stuff does have a detrimental effect. Um, but you know what? If we want to get into the nitty gritty, everything has a bad effect. Overconsuming of anything is really bad. But it's also, just, like, if you consume sugar with ultra act, ultra active people who do such high level of intense training, sugar's great. It's down to what you do, but it's all down to your laziness. If you're someone who works extremely hard and exercises so hard, you can't take away Haribo's and sweets from a footballer when they're performing at that sort of level on the pitch. That works really well for them. It's about who you are and what you do with it. Do you know what I mean? But laziness and then actual drugs alcohol, anything that intoxicates your mind, that for me is a no That's killing yeah. our people, man. That's killing our new like, generation. Like, of course, unhealthy eating, sweets and all that affects your health, which is like, again, the most important. But that's self-discipline, bro. Like, that's not really going to change. When you mention the footballers, they have Haribos and chocolate and whatnot, but they're in tip-top shape. That's what I'm saying. And they, they need that sugar to give them the glycogen release that they need, the fast-release sugar that they need to give them that energy to work at that sort of level again it's down to your lifestyle if that makes sense how quickly did pro tp pro pt grow year one literally cleaner offering free services year two converted those free hours into paid hours that in itself grew massively was earning six figures within the second year second year to third year transitioning being above on board making an actual company, having other people work with us. Year four, after being kicked out to two gym, working with another company for the hope of that we'll take half-half ownership. They let us down. Year four to five, we, we went into the mansion, started really focusing on social media. Year five to six, really took over social media, moved into another mansion. Year six to seven, lockdown kicks in. Surviving year six, seven, eight, through lockdown, where it was all up and down, still big in the industry, still running hit classes in the park with thousands of people turning up, doing online coaching, online training, still having the amount of A-list celebrities working with us, built 30 to 40,000 followers on Instagram. And then year eight to nine, I just let go of it, but kept that as a personal brand. Yeah. And then went into other amazing things. Why did you bring your brother on board? My brother, my, my goal in life is always to take my mum and my family out of the hood. 
So the fact that I was able to take my brother out and help my mum financially was a big achievement. My brother's my everything, bro. Like, he's been there through everything. We understand each other at a deeper level. We, why not? Do you know what I mean? Did you bring him on because he can offer value or is it just because he's your brother? Bro, the value this guy offers, I will need 10 people. To, to a minimum of 10 people to do what this guy's capable of doing. Yeah, that's true, Tom. Because obviously when I was doing my research, and I've noticed this with a lot of businesses, is most people have like the front of the business, the the brand, the personal brand. Is your brother more behind the scenes then? And He's got his own personal brand. In the process of building property is another side that a lot of people don't know. He actually built his own YouTube channel with 50,000 subscribers, getting millions of views. Um, he's got his own personal story to why he stopped doing that. But he built his own brand, his own face amongst, for sure, the property element. Because at one point, I was more, I wouldn't say the face of it, because again, there was the no face, is, but the story, the story is what created the whole brand. Yeah, what created the brand. So My story wouldn't allow us to achieve that. Maybe it would allow us to do other things, but that's why I had to kind of separate my brand as well and create Voice of Idris, which spoke to the to the kids, to the people, to, to people who related with my story as well. But hand in hand, we still understood each other. And when it came to the business side of things, I enjoy a lot more the operations. I love, I love the behind the scenes. He's more the strategic marketing, the sales. So hand in hand, we go together. We work really well together. So yeah, like there is definitely- But the people that knew us knew we came as a two. Yeah, it's a package. Do you know what I mean? Definitely is and a package. For sure now, because obviously when we let go of ProVT before we started Torah, I carried on driving ProVT, but like I said to you, more of a personal brand where I got into the whole influencer boxing, built a big following on TikTok, went really viral from my, from my own personal perspective, you know? So right now when people see ProVT, they really think of me, but there's more to that company and the brand. And there was money of you. My ex was a big part of it, you know, like other staff that we had on board were a big part of it can't take away these people you know, without them we wouldn't have got to where we got to can you work with your partner and, and build a business yeah I've done that before right now I actually own um, a beauty salon as well um, yeah yeah we're a partner yeah 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 so with things like that definitely achievable hard work sometimes you regret it and you know but it's amazing bro you wouldn't want to do it with anyone else. Especially when, you, yeah, especially when it's in-house, bro. And you are achieving, you are overcoming. You're both understanding the vision and the goal and you're seeing and you're bouncing each other weaknesses and strengths. It's a beautiful thing. But I'll say it's better to be with a, with a, with a brother. You, you've, your business has worked with a number of influencers, cele celebrities. How did you sign them up? Simple. You DM'd thousands of them. No one got back to us. Three, four got back to us, built a strong relationship, offered them great value. And then from there, it was word of mouth. Once you're in there, you don't need to do the outreach. It's about getting in there because those people only associate and hang around similar people. Another thing as well, I feel like I learned a very beautiful formula was which, you know, if you can't go directly to a person or a brand you need to find all the different avenues that lead up to that person or brand so one thing we did a lot as well on the property account in those days we would go to these big brands let's just say let's just go for example boohoo uh, nike whatever 
go to who they are following, click on it. Majority of the time, they're following the staff who work for the company. And I would literally go through every single account, whichever one had something to do with the brand, they would put it in their bio, like social media at Nike or this person at Nike. Literally just DM that person, send them over a message. It doesn't cost anything, but do that hundreds of times. Become become obsessed with it. Literally become obsessed with it to the point where one person replies, leads you to this person, leads you to that person. Next thing you know, you're in the door with this brand or this celebrity and stuff. So that's one formula which we learned to do in those days very, very well. But eventually, if you provide good content and you've built that relationship, they, for example, if you work with a celebrity, who's watching them? Brands. Do you know what I mean? And if you have a strong relationship with the celebrity and they're promoting you, these brands can't get through to the celebrity. Eventually, they try to come through you. You build a relationship. Mm. The amount of brands and people used to come up to and be like, can I send you this? And can you give it to this person? Can you ask this person to reply back to me? This, this, and that. So it was that building relationship with managers, building relationship with you know, agencies, building relationship with all sorts of people. But eventually, they all, we became the plug. People came to us for other people. That's why we weren't just personal trainers. So you have to understand, we weren't personal trainers. We were, we were almost like these icons where everyone wanted to be around us. Everyone, everyone wanted to be in our content. Anything we did, we used to throw in events as well with related to property. Imagine this, like a, a fitness brand, a personal training brand is throwing events where you've got all these influencers, these celebrities coming down together just to network with each other. But we're and able brands, to do that. Well, brands and everything. Because we just understood the game. We understood everything. We understood social media so well at the time. And it's it's just, it's sad that it's kind of changed now. It's changed drastically to what it was in that time because at the time it was very much, it was the peak and it was the best part of it. Now it's a lot more different. Now anyone can just be an influencer. You get a million views overnight or a million followers overnight. But in those days, a million followers meant a million followers. A hundred thousand. We were, you don't understand, we had to push so hard to get to 10K followers. After that, it was exponential growth. But to get to 10K followers, even on our personal business account, was so difficult. The things we had to do, all the strategies we had to do in place to get to that point. The money, the content, bro, time, the content was yeah. all of it. Our content yeah. was never your typical personal training content. We never, ever sold programs. We never sold workouts and all that nonsense. What we sold was the journey and the story, which is what you mentioned before you said to us, how important is the story? It's everything even on your social media accounts. If you go back into the property account, right down to the bottom, or maybe some things might be yeah, archived. Archive. Yeah. <laughs> but if you go back to the... Bro, we were documenting the journeys, the days we got kicked out of gyms, the day we were working out in the parks, the days that we were doing prison visits, the day we were doing every... Everything was documented to a point where it almost seemed like it was just... A you never knew what to expect. Yeah. It was always something new. Whether it was we started our own charity, whether it was... We're, we're doing free classes, we're working with the next big celebrity, we're running our own campaigns, we're doing corporate campaigns. But what was crazy was that- Podcasts. Those videos were, is what got us in the door of many of opportunities. It wasn't the videos of us doing sit-ups or bench presses. It was never that. We didn't never do that stuff. It, it was- Nah, 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 nah. It wasn't that. that it, what got us into these, into these rooms, yeah, what, what got us into these rooms was the fact that we documented our journey, we showed everything as raw as possible and back then instagram story was at its peak mm. like you we we banged mad views from an early stage with such small followers because people generally wanted to like we knew our twenty thousand followers we were getting ten thousand story views which was big and we knew then ten thousand story views were generally our twenty thousand followers do you know what i mean so we knew the demand we knew that even even when even when we moved from northwest london to essex 
we brought that following over. We had clients fly in in helicopters for yeah. sessions. We had clients flying from different countries. We had like, we we, we got go we we went abroad to train celebrities. Like it was mad. That's yeah. how much of a brand we built on the movement, and that, that's how we leverage off all these um, influences. But the thing as well, at the same time, we were creating good content for them, content that will help them get more brand deals, will help them stay in shape for whatever event they had coming up, whether it's acting, filming, performing, they need to stay in shape. And then eventually, when you build a real person relationship and you've got good energy and you really vibe off the person, you become part of that person's life. They, were, they weren't seen as our clients anymore, they were seen as part of our family. If you wanted to go and build that business today, could you do it? Easy. Yeah, 100%. Easy. Well, we I've do done it with the salon as well, with uh, the beauty salon right now. We're doing it now. We're, we're doing Torah. it, yeah, exactly. The Torah is literally, is a story, is a journey. The brand, what it even stands for, where it comes from, your Torah is rooted into our names. Like, our surname is Torah. So the whole point of your Torah literally comes from, the Y stands for Yusuf, which is his initial, and the rest of the name is rooted within us. And we have a special little A in the, in the name that is gold. And that's the initials of our parents. So this is something that we know that we represent no matter what. Yes, today it's a brand that's revolving around a fragrance collection because we found an opportunity. Like we are not, we are not no perfume experts, and that's the beauty of it. Because what it shows is that anyone can come from any background or anything. You just need to find an opportunity and learn how to just go. Learn the formula. Yeah, learn the formula, formula and work hard on it. And work hard doesn't mean you just think money will come to you magically. Work hard means go outside train stations. Go outside shopping malls. Go outside anywhere you possibly can to try and sell your product. Go against the odds. Go against the odds. Go get, get, tickets, get bro, how many fines we had to get. We got, that he got arrested, got fines. And we documented all of this and we showed to the people that this is what your Torah is. So when people ask what's different about your Torah to any other fragrance brand, it's majority of these fragrance brands, they ain't got no story. They have not got depth. They ain't got value. So why people buy from us and people shop with us is because they understand when they're consuming our product, they're consuming our story. They understand who is behind that brand. The reason why we buy Nike and the reason why we don't buy an unbranded clothes is because we know the moment we wear Nike, we associate ourselves to the biggest brand in the world, with the biggest athletes, the most successful people in the world. The same way we want to create that with your Torah. Your Torah, we want it to become a stamp that people eventually forget just the fragrances. We do bigger things in the future where we tap into other things. That becomes a stamp and that becomes... An, an icon that people look at and be like, that's that brand that started from nothing, that created opportunities and inspired me to go and create something myself. A big thing that made us leverage as well is that we had such a successful business with ProVT where at the start I thought, oh, how am I going to leverage off this? But it goes to show that we built such a strong foundation and I say support base from ProVT that when we started Fergus brand, majority of the people were willing to support it. But it wasn't as easy as that. And when we did start your tour of London, we created it because we wanted to show the young people for where we're from and document a journey. More so because we got the experience of the value of creating and documenting the journeys that we wanted to create a brand to show people that even if you've got no money and you've got no investors, you've got no social media, you can still make money legitimately. So what we did, we consigned the product. Once we got the product, we then sold it use that profit to reinvest back into our product and built it. And within the first three months, we were turning over over 30k a month. And that's crazy money from street selling. Then it was, cool, how do we now make this more sustainable? And it wasn't until I got arrested unlawfully for something I didn't do that basically shut down the opportunity that we were working in the market. But that didn't stop us. 
Now I'm thinking big. I'm thinking, how do I create an online business now? And I thought, I ain't got no followers. So I thought, let me leverage off what I'm doing. Then I thought, let me go viral. So I looked at different ways of going viral. I saw the boxing scene was doing really well. So I jumped on the boxing scene. I saw TikTok was doing really well. So I leveraged off TikTok. Getting up to like 10,000 views on a live stream at once, doing crazy shit. Things completely out of my comfort zone. But I knew that I had a plan that if I can go viral and I can get all this clout and I can do it for free, which anyone can do it, and leverage off. So you don't need to have thousands of pounds to put into ads. You don't really need much money. As long as you've got a phone, a SIM card, you can do anything. Does that make sense? You don't always need money. And anyone who's watching this right now will have a phone and a SIM card. And if they learn the blueprint that it's all about the relationship you build, find anything that can be sold. And everything has a price. Anything can be sold. And it's about understanding where to sell it. Does that make sense? You need to know where to plant your seed. Build a relationship with a supplier. Get the goods for free if you can. Even if it's just one sample, sell it. Get that profit, reinvest it. Or go into partnership, go into business. Like meaning went to business together. Why? Because I knew what we were able to build with ProPT that we can leverage off this now that we have an online business. Now we're no longer trading our time for money. There's no limits. Back in the days, I could only do a certain amount of hours a day and he can. Now we've got an online business, bro. It's just an operation. It's, it's just an operation. It's a system. It's just working. And the journey that we had to go through, we could easily invest so much money into it. But I don't think it would have sold the story. And it will take away a lot of hope for the people that we really want to target because they'll think, oh, these lot were really, really successful. They had a lot of money. They just invested into it. So it looks easy that it's good for them because they've done this. But now we had to show them that we were, we were sitting in the streets, train station. We were there in the cold nights and the rainy nights, rainy days. Regardless, we did whatever it took to keep the brand and the business growing to get to a certain level. Now we've got money to reinvest back into it. And we've never taken investments in it as well. Everything stayed in-house. And look how big it's. And another thing as well, I think the most important part as to the reason for our success, success in business is because we have faith. Mm. That is one thing we will always agree on, no matter what. It's the reason why we have any form of success comes from Allah, comes from God. He's given us the success. We give charity. It's a big part of our business, a big um, root of our business. And the fact that we have that faith that gives us the ability to always believe that, cool, this is what we receive. This is from God. We're grateful. We go again tomorrow. And we go again tomorrow. Every time. No matter what challenging day we face, whatever event that's happened, we always had that faith. We never neglected our prayers. Our prayers is the reason why we succeed. There were times we'd be in the markets, we'd be selling, it'll be a dry spell. It should be a very dry spell. Come prayer time, we go pray. The moment we come back, business is booming. And it's almost like going to pray, asking for that success, God instantly answered us, come back, the success is there. And it's, it's there because we have that faith and that belief. Well, one thing I... One thing I wanted to ask you, when I started my business in 2017, I wrote in my diary, in four months, I want to make a million quid. I was what I would describe as delusional. Um, do you think you have to be deluded to be an entrepreneur? Absolutely. you got to be crazy. I'm the crazy one. But I'm, I'm a go-getter and I'm an executor and I believe everything's possible. Anything you think of is possible. Anything. Everything's possible. It might not be the way you see it, it might involve other things, other people to make it happen, but it's always going to be possible. The fact you think about it, you can do it, but you've got to execute it and you've got to do it and you've got to fail and you've got to struggle, you've got to make mistakes. It's never going to be that straightforward, but it will happen. Just keep going.
you agree? That's something I'm learning now with him because, like I said in the beginning, we're two different characters. He's the risk taker. I'm the more calculated, you know, organized, making things short. He always pushed me to be the risk taker. So in a business, one person needs to be a risk taker and then the other person needs to be almost that person that's just like, following along but keeping all the tracks clear and, you know that's what we do really well together. I'm very messy so I leave a lot of shit exactly. behind and thankfully he's someone who's very disciplined and very um, organized structured and organised that can help me whilst I'm doing all this I, I match with that I, I'm more like you in, in my business and then I've, I've got my business partner who reminds me a lot like you he's very hands-on operationals, very sensible, checks all the contracts properly, all that sort of stuff. Otherwise, things are messy. Too much of me is no good. Too much of him is no good. You need that balance. Yeah. Sales, marketing, strategies, creative ideas. But don't take away, he's also got strong elements of that. Yeah. So when he comes out with an idea, guess what I'm doing? Well, I'm going to make sure that happens. Where when, it comes to, when it comes to me taking ideas, we sometimes have to clash. But then I'm someone like, that clash gives me more drive. And if I didn't get that clash, maybe I won't be as motivated. Even like, there'll be times where he'll be like, we're slacking there. And if and I'm like, I don't want to hear that from you. But by him telling me that makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm like, it's like I want to prove a point. Yeah. But deep down inside me, I'm not trying to prove a point. We need to grow this business. This business relies on us. If we're not striving, if we're not pushing, if we're not making each other feel uncomfortable, it's not always about proving a point. But sometimes having... Being comfortable and allowing the person to make you feel uncomfortable or to criticize you or to make you or to push you, that's probably going to be the only reason why you are ever going to succeed. If you don't have that and you don't have that confidence within each other to do that, then you won't, you won't get to where you, are, where, where you want to get to. I wanted to ask you something. I had, I had an entrepreneur come on a few weeks ago called Rob Moore. Um, and we were talking about goals and objectives in business. And he said to me, all goals are dreams. Do you agree? Not necessarily, bro, because sometimes I'm, I'm thinking, I'll think in a spot right now and I'll come up with an idea. Do you know what I mean? I won't be necessarily in my, in my dreams thinking about this shit or like in, my, in my thoughts. Sometimes they're just there. Like, the way things are evolving right now and people don't hurry up and get a move on and start creating this habit of stop getting comfortable and always staying comfortable and always evolve with time, you're going to be left behind, bro. This just, just, just this year, the amount of strategies we've had to learn and change and chop and try and we're still evolving. Like yesterday we sat in a meeting. It's just crazy. Like something that we started a month ago, we're a month delayed, but that's last month. This month we're starting else. Already crazy. Can it evolve and happen? That can enhance the growth of our business. Like if you're not really evolving really quickly and adapting really quickly, bro, you're just going to get left behind. So I, agree, I, I don't think they're dreams. I just think, bro, you just got to get on top of it now. And just get on with it now and just do just do. Do do whatever it's gonna take now. I think I think it's also important to do to to have those targets because it gives you the purpose and it gives you a drive for sure. But something I like to say whenever someone asks you, oh, where's your where where do you see your brand in five years time or where do you see yourself in five? I never like to answer those questions because you just never know. Honestly, you never know what tomorrow is even gonna look like. So I just have to take it day by day. Yes, you have the goals, the simple goals in life to just do certain things daily, tasks and stuff. But other than that, I don't want to see too ahead and start making promises and all that stuff because I just want to have that drive and that purpose every single day and take it like that. One thing I wanted to ask you, Yusuf, finishing up, is what's with the mask? So with regards to the mask, last year, whilst I was going viral on TikTok, I sold a lot of masks. It was just for me to show 
And again, prove to people that you can literally make something out of nothing and sell it. Um, the mask really resembles me as, I believe I've got mixed personality. Um, whether you want to call it a mixed personality disorder or thought person, I believe I, I'm very different people within certain environments, certain areas. And when I grew on social media, I started to experience a lot of other things. Evil eyes, jealousy. I never wanted to become famous, you know? That fame aspect, when I was going more viral on social and, you know, of course you're going to get addicted to clout and it becomes weird, you can change your character. But for me, I believe I'm a different character for different things. And the way I want to carry myself now, the way I want to be is everything has its own identity, whether it's my personal brand, myself, social media. And you can tell you last year, as I was going viral, everywhere we go, it's like, yo, pro, I my best pro, yo, pro. Like, when you want to grow and you want to have a family, you want to have a future, you got to start thinking about these things. And I know from now to the future, the fact we're so social media orbited, we are going to become even bigger, more viral, more out to the public eye. Do I crave that? Do I live for that? Nah. Yeah. But me is about playing the game, being strategic and just making money, bro. Have you ever taken off your mask on a podcast? Nah, not recently. No, nah. we tried to film one the other day. I don't think I want it to go public. Shit, podcast. We get podcast people reaching out to us on a daily, but we filmed three this week already. It's great piece of content. It's great piece of... Um, it's a good... Uh, what's the word? Good marketing tool. Yeah, well. good marketing tool. But the thing is, some people, they're not experienced. They don't have to hold a podcast. They don't have to hold a conversation. No, good, no for good them, for them, it's not good. For them, they're just looking for like quick videos to post to get clickbait videos out. They want to they wanna basically gain from working with people who have such a big following. Where, in fairness, like, that's not how we operate, but we're on a value-to-value relationship. I don't stop myself from doing podcasts because I believe you can tell a lot of stories in different avenues in different ways. And I believe there's always an opportunity for someone who's going to listen, who's going to gain value from it. Um, but eventually, I think even down the roots of doing podcasts and keep telling the stories and stuff, it's only so much time you can tell the story. What's more important is proving whatever you're going to say and what you're going to do. And that's why I wanted this podcast to be a bit more different. I wanted my brother to be involved. I wanted to talk a bit more about the Torah. We still haven't even dug in much into what and how we're going to really execute this and make this a very big venture, you know? And that's something that we'll probably talk on a part two with you one day. But yeah, I think just the way people are nowadays, people are very selfish. <clears throat> people do things for themselves. Everyone's trying to leverage up other people that have nothing to leverage back from. You know, and I think people need to be really careful because that will catch up with you. One thing that allowed us to become successful is that it was always a value-to-value relationship. From the first pitch, I don't care if you had no followers. Some girls used to come to us, he had no followers, but we believe in them and we help them scale massively. Do you know what I mean? Because like, we believe in them. Like Even though they weren't bringing any value, we just believe in them. I do this because I learn. I speak to people and I learn. And I take it into my business life and I take it into my... I had a dating expert on a few weeks ago and I took that into my my dating life and yeah. that's what I do and look I'm lucky enough look I can yeah. share it in TikTok YouTube I feel like the younger generation will have that I feel like it's the older generation who are getting into it who have finance have business have money behind it and just see it as like oh, I just want to get followers I want to get viral I'm going to use leverage off this and that and people will see that the the views will see through that and if you really want to grow a strong platform and a strong following 
and a solid following, then you really need to show how you exchange that value-to-value -value relationship. Yeah. If you want to take off your mask, you're allowed to. <laughs> I'm calm, bro. <laughs> All right, can you do me a favor for the trailer and just sort of go like this? <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So, so, who's the man behind the mask? <laughs> there you go. There's, there's the clickbait trailer that you're talking go, about. Um, but no, it'd be great to do a part two to speak yeah. about more growth. Ardy, your tour stuff is going to be crazy. Well, you wait and see, bro. Yeah. The way we're working with AI right now and the way we're just creating such a big movement we've spent two years documenting now and what we have with your tour the behind the scenes the movies that we're creating is just so relatable and so real and so raw and the last the first video we 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 released hit mad views generated mad sales and how we're adapting with time right now where you can literally generate sell market yourself without really putting a budget into it you know what i mean and that's the future I can't lie, I was a bit sceptical to have your brother on because I haven't done any research. I like to be obviously prepared, but I've actually learned more having him here than because there were two different aspects. There was one story and there was another story and I'm actually glad that I did. We have a, tr we have a closing tradition on this podcast. Um, I asked you a question, it's a quick fire. So I'll start with you, Yusuf. What three things are you grateful for in your life right now? My health, my family and my faith. Idris. Uh, my faith, my family, and my health. <laughs> <laughs> so the same thing. The same, just same thing. Back just <laughs> yeah. No, my faith, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yourself? Partner, family, and... Partner, family, same thing. Give me another one. Family, partner, then same thing. Um, the ability to train um, and my work. Amazing. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate Thank it, bro. you, bro. Thanks Appreciate it. Cheers, bro.